If Reality Check Radio enriches your day and life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. Simon Angelo is Chief Executive Officer and Publisher at Wealth Morning. He's been investing in the market since he was 17, recently spending a couple of years working in the hedge fund industry in Europe. He owned an award-winning professional services business and online learning company in Auckland for 20 years before heading overseas. And he's completed the Certificate in Discretionary Investment Management from the Personal Finance Society in the UK. He's written a best-selling book and manages global share portfolios. It's time for our Money Talk segment, and Simon Angelo is with us now. Simon, it's great to have you back. Thanks for coming on the program again. Oh, it's really good to be back, uh, Paul, and talk about money with your listeners uh, unfiltered on, on RCR here. Uh, look, quick disclaimer before we get started, general commentary only, no financial advice. If you're chomping at the bit to do something, get some financial advice before you do. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. All right, to start with, OCR. But I think, Paul, what we're getting into is the wider question of property investment, which has sustained at least the baby boomers for so many years. Uh, we've had a really good run. And I've had two calls this week from our wholesale clients who have told me they're looking to get out of rental property. And that's yeah. really been the trend over the past six months. I mean, I know the squeeze you mentioned with interest rates has come on, but you've got to question whether the whole story is changing. So if you look at uh, property values in New Zealand over the past five years, yes, they're up 6%, but inflation, we've had 20, 25% inflation if you add it all up since over the past five years. Yeah. So there's not been any real gain and what the investors are telling us who do buy residential property is they're not buying it for the yields, for the rent, because it barely covers the costs and time and work. They're actually buying it for that gain. And the real question now is whether that's going to still be there going forward. So that's a huge change then. Is yeah, it, it is. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm a share market guy, so that's the asset class I prefer. But I do tell people... When you're looking at residential property, you're really buying shares in immigration New Zealand. And they say, well, hey, you can't buy shares in that. And that's the point. The New Zealand property market, because our fertility rate in New Zealand, we're down to about 1.6 babies per, yep. per woman. We're not replacing at all. We're not replacing. I've got a lot of South African mates on the North Shore, and I say, thank you. Thank you for coming. We can't have enough kids. Glad you're here. So we need you to pay the pensions. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, right. So, I Thanks mean, without, without large-scale immigration, and you get a lot of people going to Australia, typically twenty to 30,000 people a year in a good year because they're getting more money, uh, without those immigration numbers. And we had 130,000 uh, almost come in last year. Uh, you're going to quickly lose support for the housing market. And I guess what I tell people is New Zealand's a fantastic, attractive place to live. I just come back from Asia last month and just really appreciated it. You know, we parked outside Chowdenham Beach, 50 metres walk to the beach, had dinner on the beach, quarter of the beach to ourselves. Yeah, wow. And you don't yeah. appreciate that unless you're away for a while. We were in Singapore and Seoul, 7 million, 10 million, a whole different density equation. So yeah. very, very attractive place. But immigration will ebb and flow. And uh, 
I think the other big announcement that we've had, well, we kind of knew about it before the new government got elected, was Chris Bishop's desire to unleash a whole lot of land through new zoning laws, potentially Mm. forcing councils to actually have 30 years of land up their sleeve. And I think it was an article on interest where they were talking about actually getting house prices over the next five or 10 years from a multiple of kind of eight, nine times income back to sort of three to five times income. So, yeah, if you're looking for capital gains, I mean, no one's got a crystal ball, but you've got to be scratching your head there. Okay, so what does that do for the people who bought houses because of those gains and that's all just going to come to a, to a halt for them, is it? And then they decide, oh, I don't want to be in this so much now. And then everybody's trying to offload them. And that's some kind of cycle. Well, I don't I don't think there's going to be a, a, a mass offloading. Um, I think there'll be a, more and more rental investors who maybe won't go in because we've also had the return of interest deductibility for landlords. Yeah. And I think you'll just see maybe the sector become what it should be. Houses are places to live, not an asset class to to speak to speculate upon. That is music to my ears. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> it always should have been that way. Yeah. And if we'd um, kept that thinking, we'd be doing a lot better. I can't help but feel that. All right. So anything else to say about that asset class? Oh, there is one point of danger, and that's uh, particularly younger people who have used the banks to leverage into housing, and they may have done that at interest rates of 3%, 3.5%, and now those interest rates are 7%. So no doubt there's going to be some pain. Uh, and that's the whole problem when you've got – I mean, as you said, the, the market should be houses to live in, yep. not houses to speculate in. And that's the whole problem when you do speculate on an asset and it perhaps goes up more than it should have, more than the fundamentals actually support it. But uh, I think this opening up a land could be a game changer. I mean, if you look at you know cities in the US where they've done that, you know, Houston, for instance – uh, it's got 30% larger population, but it's got 60% more land. And the detractors will say, hey, that's urban sprawl. Uh, I'll say, well, that gives you more places to go. Well, people have got to live somewhere. Um, Absolutely. And communities develop around hubs. It's not yeah. entirely a sprawl, a, a, a sprawl equation. Well, people you can design it cities anyway. to, be, to have a more positive outcome, I, I would imagine. Um, yeah. Though uh, using immigration as a way of kind of keeping the thing pumped, that's that could be tempting, couldn't it? And that changes the dynamics of, of a country over time, especially if the birth rate's low. Yes, it does. Um, I mean, we have a pension bill of about $20 billion a year from a total tax take of about $80 billion. Wow. And that's going to increase. We do have an ageing population. So some immigration is essential, but I think you've got to, it's got to come down to the quality of, of the immigration. I mean, years ago, Muldoon made the comment when a New Zealander leaves for Australia, it increases the IQ of both countries. <laughs> <laughs> he was funny, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. But in an ideal world, that's also the intention of Immigration New Zealand to replace that person who's left with a highly skilled migrant. Yeah. So like a lot of things in life, it comes down to the quality of people you're able to attract. 
Yeah. But, uh, 126,000 people last year. It's, uh, it's definitely on the high side, net migration. Yeah. For a population of what, 5.4, 5.5 mil? Yeah. And I mean, New Zealand is a resources based country. So there's there's limited argument to increasing the population in such an ongoing way like that. Unless you want to keep enough money in the or new money coming in to keep those because they presumably some of them bought houses is what I'm thinking. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the interesting thing. We've had such high net migration and yet the housing market is still misfiring. Yeah. So there's something amiss there. All right. Um, I've often thought if I want to be – and I don't even know what the threshold of comfort would be, actually, because that's such a – you know, how long is a piece of string? But if I wanted to be comfortable just over the default of what I could get, you know, welfare or the state paying me a pension, um, I've seen figures of, like, you've got to have a couple of million or something. Well, I look at my dad. He's over 90. He had, you know, tens of thousands saved, let's say, and he still has a life, you know, but it's not much of a – he doesn't get out that much. But, but you know, he's happy. He's got a nice, warm place to live. He, he listens to his talking books. It's it's there. Um, what level should you strive for? How much um, comfort is is real comfort? You know, because it's it's sold to you. You got to you got to save, save, save. People talk million dollars plus. It seems like a lot of money. Oh, it's it's different for everyone. And I think you made a very useful comment about your dad. I mean, happiness isn't about money; it's about purpose. Uh, but what we did see following the pandemic. There's a lot more searches and interests in the subject of financial freedom and going off grid. And that tells me there's a lot of purpose and life satisfaction. If you can get to a point where you can cover your lifestyle with passive income rather than active income you have to work for. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, since the lockdowns, that uh, sparked a lot of searches for people going off grid going out and generating their own power, raising their own chickens. Not for me. I actually like the grid. I don't want to make my own cappuccinos every day. No. But uh, some people, you know, that's that's a ticket to freedom, to be more self-sufficient. Yeah. And also uh, the evil mandates that we had to suffer. Uh, I think if you'd had financial freedom in that case, where you'd had passive income, you would have had some ballast and, and buffer against against that yeah you wouldn't have felt so naked in the storm yeah that that's that's right so i mean it comes down to a question well how can you actually achieve financial freedom and i think of all the financial goals and purposes that's probably the most worthwhile much better than having a well i'm a good case in point i'm 60 just turned 60 65 okay there's a pension coming but who knows (laughs) who knows um Got a little bit saved. Um, got an investment uh, with the with the house there, uh, half a house as it turns out. Um, but who knows? That has to be realised yet. So, what can I do? Let's say in the next five years, just using me as an example, not making it about me, but using someone of my my age because you know, you're kind of thinking about those things now. Um, and you know the 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 years that to run out after you kind of wind up the working. You know how much? What what would I need to find? What would I need to do? Concentrate on passive income, money you don't have to show up for. Uh, 
this is not advice. What I've done. No, in I know that. Yep. What I've done in my situation and what we do for our wholesale clients is we build portfolios of stocks and shares. Right. So let me give you an example. Uh, Westpac Banking Corporation in Australia, Westpac Bank, pays a dividend of about 6%, and the stock price has grown 8 or 9% over the past month. So what we try and do is build a dividend-rich portfolio of businesses that can grow. Now, I'll give you another example. I bought Contact Energy, New Zealand Stock Exchange, a few years back at $5. Dividend was about 6%. That share is now $8.00. The dividend's still around 6%, but hang on, I only put $5 in, so that's actually more like a 9 or 10% return. Now, once you start building a whole portfolio of those sort of companies, and, I mean, dividends will get cut from time to time, like they did in the pandemic. You might have to ride out the old storm. Things yep. go up and down. Mm -hmm. But as you start to build that portfolio and really get into it, uh, you can soon build a pretty good stream of passive income over the years. But like anything, uh, Paul, the sooner you start, the better, because there's this kind of magic of compounding that uh, And you need time for, for the compounding effect. Yep. It, it helps. It helps. The best time to start is, is always now. Okay. Um, now, just another thing I'd add with that, Paul, is you don't want all your eggs in one basket. You really want to be globally diversified, in my view, and that means looking outside of New Zealand because we've got pretty small industries and we don't have every yep. sector here. And what gave a lot of our investors a fright, um, we've seen how coalition agreements work and small parties can get quite a lot of say because they have negotiating leverage. And in my view, this coalition has given us a lot of upside from the smaller parties. But imagine if it had gone the other way and we'd had a wealth tax. Now, All right. yeah. you talk yeah. about freedom, one freedom is your property rights to enjoy the fruits of what you've labored for over many, many years. We surveyed uh, 20 of our high net worth clients, and they said if a wealth tax come to New Zealand, 15 of them would leave. Oh, okay, yeah. Now, here's the whole problem. If you've got a farm worth $5 million, you've spent your whole life building that up, the margins are quite tight. You produce food for many New Zealanders and many people around the world. All of a sudden, with a wealth tax, you'd be up for $125,000 a year to pay to the government. Uh, just absolute madness. Food prices would go up. You run that over lots of large farms in New Zealand, we could be queuing for food. And if it had gone the other way, we might have had one of these things, one of these taxes. If it had gone the other way, yes. Yes, yeah. there was a ideology there driving it, and I don't think there's enough critical thinking to realise, well, what's the logical conclusion of this when farmers and business people have to pay a whole lot of money to the government and then add it to the price of their products and maybe even go out of business? Without actually having the income to support it, because it's just purely done on value, isn't it? It's purely done on value, yes. Yeah. Boy, that's a, that, that's a um, reaching in and grabbing stuff kind of uh, policy. All right. Um, I'm really curious about what you make of the tech sector because I have been, I've been alarmed, i got to say, impressed and alarmed with AI recently. I, I know it's being referred to as the fourth industrial revolution. What it's going to 
What revolution is actually going to take place, I'm uncertain, because it could be that it replaces a whole lot of really good jobs and, and makes people unemployed, or it, it creates, I don't know, creative um, things that just blow us away, figures out how you know quantum physics works. I don't know what how this is going to work out. The videos that have been coming out lately created by AI are very impressive but scary as well. So are you looking... How closely are you looking at this sector now, given that this AI thing is just, it's its taking off like a rocket ship, you know? Yeah, it is. And NVIDIA in the US has been one of the leaders in the stock market run-up. Um, I think it just pre- uh, released its uh, fourth quarter results and they had increased uh, revenue by 265%. So this is a company approaching two tr- $2 trillion dollars in valuation. Wow! So it's yeah. bigger than the GDP of Canada. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, uh, I am always careful with talk of a new revolution because I remember the dot com crash in two thousand. Yeah, yep. The internet was meant to take off, unleash a whole new industry. And people got too excited, markets crashed, and it actually took about 10 or 15 years for the real phenomenal business models that we have today yep. to actually flow through. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I see the same thing happening with AI. I'm not worried about it. I'm, I'm more worried about uh, natural stupidity than artificial intelligence. Yeah. That, that's for sure. It's had far longer to refine itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, Paul. Um but, I mean, what we're looking at in our business is, well, where can you actually apply AI and how's it going to transform yeah. Yeah. individual businesses? So if you look, for example, at Airbnb, they have used AI to screen uh, guests and they've cut the number of parties in half. So how would they do that? They'd have various algorithms the system would think for itself and work out when you hire a BNB, Airbnb whether you're you're a party animal or not. I mean, I guess it looks at things like: Are you hiring a place close to where you live, or after oh, a concert? All these little cues, eh? Cues. Yeah, yeah, all these little cues. And I'll tell you what, Uber's another business I quite like, and they have a patent to use AI to actually predict where you want to go next. Oh so man. Yeah, yeah. So if that comes about, uh, Paul, that app may actually work out. Okay, where's Paul Brown going to go next? Let's make sure there's he's a he, you're a rider. Let's make sure there's a driver near you to take you where you want to go and make the whole system more efficient and more profitable. But obviously, there's privacy concerns. So um, that would look at my um, pattern of behaviour, probably. So yeah. when he ordered last time, what did he order after that? I know that <laughs> I know what it, it would work out for me. It'd say, "Okay, you got that." And I don't use it that much, but he got that last time. Next, it's Ben and Jerry's ice cream. <laughs> okay, yeah, it, it would work taste. that out. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. that's a pattern. Well, they might I, be able to feed that into Uber Eats and have the Ben and Jerry's ready for you there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just just for me and everyone else too. Um, but uh, these b- big businesses like Amazon and um, uh, all the logistics uh, um, businesses, that AI is going to run all of them, surely. Yeah, well, there's a race on 
to try and find ways to implement it to add value. And yeah. some analysts are saying it could add 7% to GDP if it really takes off. And all these businesses are using it in their processes to be better, faster, and deliver service more cheaply. Yeah, I mean, the main use we've had at the moment is chatbots. And I know Mercedes uh, has implemented chat into their cars. So oh, no, you chat with the car now, do you? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in the 80s, Paul, and I used to love uh, watching Knight Rider. Yeah, yeah, we'll get Good, yes, yeah. you had a talking, intelligent car, so <laughs> that could be that could be coming. If you had to have a conversation with your car, you'll never oh, be alone dear. again. I mean, what would you talk about? Oh, you might be able to ask it what's going to be the best route and how's the motorway looking and yeah, yeah, and you you can fall in love with your car. <laughs> it was like uh, on Get Smart when Jaime the robot fell in love with the jug. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to get boiling it all the time. <laughs> I think I'm in love, Max, he said. Um, okay. Uh, now, in NVIDIA, I I remember getting a very early on, probably in the early, late 80s, a, uh, a computer with a graphics card for a game I had. And it was an NVIDIA graphics card. And they were, they were, that was, they were a brand new company then. Yeah. And it was, you know, it wasn't very grunty or anything. They started off making graphic cards for video games is what they did. Yeah, well, they obviously built a lot of experience in designing very high-value chips, and they've been able to transition their business to now producing or designing AI chips. And I think um, Mark, Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg there at uh, Borg. Facebook. Borg, he's the AI version. Yeah, yeah, he's um, they're looking at a $9 billion order with NVIDIA this year for AI Gee. chips to power some of their work. So you can see where their bread and butter is. It's actually supplying these chips to businesses who need the AI processing power. And it it takes a lot of processing power. Yeah. But I think investors have to work out, do I actually want to invest in businesses that are going to harness AI and become more profitable? Or do I actually want to go into the chip businesses like NVIDIA and maybe Intel? They're looking to get into it as well. Uh, move forward into it or, you know, which is the best way forward. And I think what you've got to really separate is where is the hype? You know, are you buying a genuine business story or are you buying hype and speculation? Uh, because NVIDIA trades at around 66 times earnings. So if you bought it today, it would yeah. take you 66 years to get back your investment uh, that's the way PE works. But arguably, you've got to look at the earnings rather than the price. I mean, if it triples or quadruples its earnings, then it's um, not such an expensive company. But that remains to be seen because there's competition emerging. Yeah, you just reminded me of, uh, you know, the gold rush. What, what did they say? It, was, it wasn't the, the people who went out and, and panned for gold. It was the whoever provided the shovels and the, and the, and the bits of equipment that actually made the money. Yeah, that's right. I think the Levi Strauss company did very well from from that game. Yeah, and that would be NVIDIA, a company like NVIDIA's position, right? Um, well, the way I would look at it is who's under the radar, who hasn't yet been spotted that could make oh, a run for it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so um, it's such a fascinating – so you don't think it comes to the level of a like a like the description fourth industrial revolution? You don't think it quite gets to that, or you you sort of wait and see if that is what where it gets to. I think it could do due to the power of convergence. 
Yeah. I mean, it's not going to operate on its own. It's going to affect every single industry. So we just talked about Airbnb and Uber. But what say you go to your lawyer and he's using AI to get you a legal opinion much more quickly? Um, well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there'll be less lawyers. They'll probably just upsell you a, an AI second opinion if you want one. Okay. So, yeah, um, like complimentary or bonus second opinion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, AI can do a huge amount of thinking work and go right across case law and legislation probably far quicker than a... It, well, instantaneously. Absolutely. With, Those with videos were created, power. some said, in, in under a minute. Yeah, with that processing power. Yeah. That's NVIDIA again and, and all those chip makers. Okay, well, boy, it's not boring, is it? Um, any, I, th- I think um, the real big concern, Paul, is we're starting to use uh, AI graphic design in our in our website articles. Yeah. You're essentially telling, you know, asking for an image to be generated, cost you a few tokens, and it's copyright royalty free. Right, no problem with it, yeah. So my concern, I mean, it's getting better and better, is what about designers? What about uh, royalty-free photo photo sites that have all these photos? Maybe they're not needed anymore. Why would well, you no, they could a go. photo when you can get one generated? Yeah. Um, the, that, that's a very good point. Um, if you don't need any creative, hands-on creative, the value shifts to whoever can come up with the best idea for a picture, doesn't it? Yes, yes. Who, who can actually drive... Uh, the AI machine, yeah, and get the best results out of it. Yeah, so get that the the you know the real um, money shot image, which could just be a slight nuance from any other one. That yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's not always the best. My colleague John asked it to generate an image. He was doing an article on the retirement bomb in New Zealand, and yep. it come up with a clock shaped like a bomb and a whole lot of grass and sheep. <laughs> and the, the bomb was shadowing over the sheep. And I thought, well, that's pretty good. It gives you New Zealand pensions, time bombs, but doesn't actually show any retirees. Ah, no, good point. I left <laughs> that bit out. But machine learning will take care of that. Yeah, it's, it's it's got a way to go. But I think the interesting point is, is the those who are able to drive and use AI in their business could do very well. And it's about finding those businesses and finding those opportunities. It's always changing. I wonder about AI radio hosts. I don't think you can ever be replaced, Paul. No, it's uh, not a, not a human business. Not like radio hosts or or, or teachers or nurses. Uh, That's a relief. Yeah, no chat nurses, welcome. but there'd be no empathy then, would there? That's the thing. There'd be um, or wouldn't be um, a human empathy. It'd be machine learned empathy. I don't think such a thing exists. I think empathy is separate from intelligence and it's yep. a human quality, increasingly in short supply. I saw a video of um, one of those robots, Boston robots. They put one of those Apple vision things on it. That was that was funny to see how it reacted to that. Oh, yeah. Was it convincing? It didn't know what – Yeah, all its reference points it kind of looked like it had gone. It was, you know, like – this world is not like it was a moment ago. Um, all right, anything else to to cover? Uh, well, really, I mean, we've covered rental property, financial independence. The sooner you start, the better, and work on some freedom and passive income and really where AI is coming. I think probably the remaining danger with AI is who's driving it. 
I mean, oh, yeah. Seen, yeah. Dr. Evil. Yeah. So we've seen some complaints around some of the AI bots that they have their own worldview. Uh, I think I saw someone asking a question whether uh, it's more important to prevent a nuclear, nuclear apocalypse or misgender somebody. And it oh, was very dear. indecisive on the oh, what? <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it didn't really have a, have a clue. So you can have intelligence, but common sense is an entirely different matter. So yeah. I do believe Elon Musk is working on an AI chat system, which will focus on being curious and finding the truth rather than having any kind of worldview. And that's what we need. Yeah, a curiosity algorithm. Searching for the actual truth rather than truth that's coloured by a particular ideology. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we need, Paul. Yeah, that's what that's we what need. About, that's what you guys are about, aren't you? No, we are, yeah. yeah. We're, yeah, yeah. We're, we're that algorithm. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Simon Angelo from Wealth Morning. How do people get in contact quickly with you? Jump on our website, wealthmorning.com. Our latest news is there. If you want to reach me directly, cs at wealthmorning.com will get to me. That's great, Simon. Thanks for coming back on uh, our Money Talks, and I know we'll talk again. Thanks, Paul. It's a pleasure. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio. Do you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to? Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057, or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We'd love to hear from you, so connect with us today.